This is After School on Core 77. I'm Don Lehman. If you've hung around Core 77 for a while, you've probably seen the name Yo pop up on discussion boards and writing the occasional article on the main page. Yo happens to be the alias of my good friend, Michael DeTullo. Michael is a super talented designer who has worked for Evo, Nike, Converse, Frog, and uh, is now the chief design officer of Sound United. Sound United is a Southern California company responsible for the audio brands Polk, Definitive, and Boom. Today, I talk with Michael about what it's like to exhibit at CES, how he approaches getting Sound United's products sold into retailers, the intense competition of the Bluetooth speaker market, and what the design scene is like in Southern California. Stay tuned. So CES, you were you were just there with Sound United in January, and it's usually like the first or second week in January in Vegas, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's the biggest select. It's I think it's the biggest, right? The biggest consumer electronic show in the world, which is I think I think it's one of the biggest trade shows in Vegas, actually. Yeah. Believe it. Yeah. 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 And uh, I I personally have never been. I've had stuff there, but I've never had to go but the impression you get of it online is that it's just this giant headache for everyone <laughs> and like that like the and maybe because it's the tech press covering it right and it's like mm-hmm. it's more or less they it seems like they load it because it's like there's thousands of them working around the clock all covering the same things and getting the same stories and i guess to be fair to them it's like a lot of it you know they could just cover via press release and you know, do a blog post instead of like being there for a week, just kind of not sleeping. Uh, yeah. But like, I also get the impression that it, it's, it has to be important because it's done every year and all these companies go to it every year. So like, clearly there's some value. So like, as, I mean, you were there with Sound United. What's the experience like uh, for you guys? What's your CES? It's it's kind of this one of these amazing situations where um, it's a little bit of an arms race. You know, every year everybody tries to outdo each other. And then so then the next year you need to push it a little bit further, a little bit further. Um, and this year was definitely um, the most spectacular kind of in our history. Um, our team got to design a, uh, a two-story booth, um, 30 foot by 50 foot booth with meeting rooms. That was Wow, a really cool experience and, to really and your design t- out the space. And your team, your design team at, at Sound United, did that. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I'm, okay, cool. And we worked with an outside uh, design build house that all they do is do do trade show booths for Vegas. Uh, but you know, we got to work on how we wanted the experience to flow in terms of um, you know our, our our marketing team picked the location. We worked out the sight lines so as soon as you entered the South Hall, you could see our booth because of the height. Uh, and logo placement, and then kind of the the flow through the booth. So how you kind of experience each brand, um, and then the private meeting spaces upstairs. And um, ba- basically, we have kind of this year's product downstairs on display, and next year it's kind of top secret product upstairs in private meeting rooms for key retailers. Oh, cool! So you so, so you want to get upstairs? Like you, you're you're uh, you're very important if you get upstairs, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it's, it's, so the, the show is, is a real mix because it's not a, it's not a consumer show, um, like Macworld. Uh, so you're, you're really talking about, uh, meetings with the media and meetings with retailers. And of course, you know, we've been in the business for 42 years, so we, we pretty much know all the retailers, but it's about kind of getting the retailers and getting key time with them to discuss future product plans. Uh, and then with the media, like you said, they could cover it via press release, but it's a real opportunity for them to meet um, the people kind of behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and the the video interview has become kind of was was huge this year in terms of pretty much scheduled every day multiple video interview interviews with blogs and um, and of course 
kind of digital media providing uh, the opportunity for so much video content. So that's, that's been pretty amazing. And then I think we really tried to up the ante in terms of our, our evening events. Cause of course you, everybody's there kind of working the show floor kind of open to close. And then the goal is to get some of their time in the evening as well to show, to show that you're a brand that is connected with culture and connected with kind of the bigger meaning, right? For us, nobody buys speakers so that they could have giant speakers in their living room. They buy speakers so they can have an experience. So we try to give the media and the retailers the kind of experience we want. So this year we had a, um, we gave a concert at the, the Hard Rock uh, Casino, uh, which was, was pretty spectacular. We had, we had a contest where um, any band, we, we bought the rights to the Doobie Brothers song, listen to the music, and then any band in the country could cover that song and upload their cover to YouTube. And then we had a massive voting process. And the band that won, which was this, this band called Flash Clash from Detroit, we flew to Vegas and they opened up our show. Um, and then we had Walk Off the Earth, which is kind of like a Canadian indie rock band that's starting to blow up. Yeah. Do kind of a, they opened up for Walk Off the Earth and Walk Off the Earth opened up, who, who is sponsored by Polk. And then Walk Off the Earth opened up for John Legend. Oh, who's awesome. sponsored by. Yeah, yeah. nice. Nice, so, nice. And it was, it was an amazing week. I mean, for, from a design standpoint, like I said, we designed the booth um, to you know, picking out the cocktail dresses that the servers wore at the event, you know, it's like, it, and, the, and the shoes and the, it's like getting down to, to, from the very broad strategy of like, what are these brands about? How do we represent them down to, yeah, what jewelry are the cocktail waitresses wearing? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, how much of your year is uh, centered around planning for CES? Or do you think of it like that? Um, It's, uh, that's a good question. I mean, there's certainly a lot of time in Q4. I mean, most most of the year is spent around product launches, right? So, and and CES is always an interesting time because, like you said, it's the first week in January. But most of our key product launches are in Q3, right? Because you, you need to get them in retail for the holidays. Uh, so you've basically come through this amazing process of like climbing Mount Everest to to reach a Q3 launch, and then. As soon as you hit that Q3 launch, you, you then have to switch over to thinking about, okay, CES. Like, you know, what, what do we have in the hopper that is ready to show at CES? Right. Uh, because basically, we only want to show kind of Q2 launches at CES. Right, and on, on, the, on the bottom floor. And then the top floor, I'm, I'm assuming you're right. showing the stuff that you want to launch for Christmas, maybe. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting... Uh, it's an interesting high tide, low tide throughout the year, and and CES certainly uh, provides an interesting bend in the curve. Yeah, how how do you plan for it? Like like maybe like when so you start planning for it around maybe Q uh, Q three Q four I guess. Uh, like so, are you? I mean, are you thinking about CES twenty fifteen already, or like what would be shown there, or how you would go about it? Yeah, we, we already are in terms of, of a roadmap. So yeah. right now we have you know, our, our, our Q3 uh, 2014 launches all set and our Q1, Q2 2015 launches pretty much baked. They're, they're, it's, it's um, you know, tooling is being cut on Q3 and, and, and uh, design is being firmed up on the Q1, Q2 stuff. So we, we pretty much know what we're going to show at CES already. And, and we do think of it in terms of that. Yeah. Um, and then the actual kind of booth detailing and planning just doesn't happen until it's closer because it's just, it's too soon. Yeah. Uh, that That's the part that's always amazing. I, I, mean, I pretty much don't take any time off around the holidays anymore. My, my wife and I always take a trip in, in early November because we know after that it's just CES. Yeah. 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 So, and this year it was, it was, uh, um, you know, I mean, basically the booth was being finished the day CES opened. So, and it, it's that way for everybody. I mean, you walk around the hall yeah. and it's like, you can't talk to anybody because everybody is just in that last minute go mode, putting their, <laughs> putting the finishing touches on their booth. There's always something that didn't fit. This year we put a, and another a, a slightly more complicated element in our booth was we put a, a coffee shop in our booth. Mm. So it's kind of a, it was kind of an inside 
Polky joke, like the the founders of Polk were huge coffee nerds. They used to have, you know, they're based in Baltimore. Every week they'd have fresh coffee flown in from Seattle. Um, oh wow! And so we we built this uh, seventy two cafe inside of the Polk side of our booth, which is the year the company was founded. Yeah, and it's kind of like a, a little nod to the coffee culture that that still exists at the company, but also obviously we, we branded all the cups so that. You know, we knew our coffee cups would be all over CES. So, yeah, so right, right. Little, it's a little like we're we're um, in the scheme of things, right? We're a, we're a specialty brand. Like we we focus on premium audio. So you know, we're never uh, in in order to get the kind of noise that like a Sony gets, we have to do some some guerrilla, very strategic design moves to get uh, attention, right? So a little phenomenology around where's everybody getting these coffee cups. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, right. So did you get a chance to walk the floor at all, or were you kind of tied to the booth? I, I walked it a little bit. I always try to, but yeah. I also brought my my design team um, with the explicit mission of like combing the hall. Yeah. And then they, they put together a trend report that is then presented to the, the larger uh, company. So, And I, I try to get a few engineers to walk around with them and, and – uh, some marketing folks as well, so there's always a multidisciplined kind of view on what they're seeing. Right. So you're uh, you're you can share the experience as opposed to like having different ones and then thinking different things are happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What are what are some of the interesting things that you saw, or some of those trends that you think are important right now? Um, I mean, one of the biggest ones, obviously, was wearable technology. Yeah. It's like you could throw a rock without hitting. 10 smartwatches. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting because everybody's it's, it's, it's interesting because everybody's entering except for the traditional watchmakers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a good point. You know, it's like Mercedes has one and Nissan has one, but, but, uh, you know, tag Hoyer and Bell and Ross don't. Um, but I, I think, I think that's only a matter of time. Um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, people probably want a, you know, a, a watch brand smartwatch versus a car brand smartwatch. Right. Um, Although, you know, I mean, like, I, I do wonder if, uh, you know, those traditional, play, like, it does seem like you have room on your wrist for, like, may, one, maybe two things, right? Like, you're not mm -hmm. just going to, like, cover your arm with a bunch of bands. Right. Uh, and so, like, I wonder what those traditional players, you know, I mean, they're not too unlike you know, old school, like candy bar cell phones, right? In a sense. True. So it's like, no one's going to, no one's going to carry those cell phones anymore. Like what, I wonder how they're thinking about this time. Do you think that they're going to be able to evolve? Oh, I, I actually, I have total confidence that at, at least several of them will get into it in a big way. Cause for me, I think it's about who owns the real estate. You know, I, I think, I think a watch is about brand. Like there's, there's literally zero reason for you to wear a watch like but yet the majority of people do and if you look at how many watchmakers came into the market over the last several years at above the two thousand dollar mark yeah cle clearly people are buying these things not for function sure so so i think that for me it's about who owns the real estate and i think that i think that kind of a watchmaker has earned the earned the your permission to be there um, and in a way that I don't know if uh, uh, a consumer electronics manufacturer has. Mm. Um, I mean, personally, I, I, I speak for myself as a consumer here as well. Right. Um, and then I think also when you look at the way the watch industry works, there's actually you know, watch makers for the most part, uh, it's, it's like an extended contract manufacturing industry. I, I, in a previous life when I, was a, when I was a consultant right out of school, I did you know, 30 or 40 watches for production and the watchmakers don't typically make the the guts the internals right there's only several makers that make either if it's an analog watch it's called a movement if it's a digital watch it's called a module mm -hmm. and so they they basically design a case and the fitting and the design the branding um, and then they might work with a movement maker to say like hey i need like this type of chronograph with the hands here that's just, but but most of the time they're actually buying those movements with all those those uh, hard points already locked in off the shelf. So all the the industry is totally ripe for someone like a Samsung 
to create a, a digital module that any watchmaker could then right. build a watch around. And and I think if I was if I was a um, a Samsung or um, you know who else has been Qualcomm or whoever, I'd, I'd want to just make a module and then let let the other company do all the work of like selling the thing. Yeah. You know? Well, it actually, seems like it would be more uh, Google or Apple that would be because it's like really it's going to be about the software. Yeah. That that runs that stuff. Yeah, so it, it almost seems like I think Google might be like to to attack it in the way that you're talking about, like because they license Android, and I don't see Apple as the type of company that would want to, uh, you know, they like to have tight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, right, they like to have tight yeah. control over the experience and the hardware, uh, but I think Google is more than willing to let a lot of people experiment with where their software goes. Yeah, you're hundred percent right, and 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 Apple. Uh, we'd probably be one of the few CE brands that could pull it off in terms of like er- earning that permission to be on your wrist. Right. Um, but Google, Google, if I had a guess, they probably actually would work with an LG or a Samsung to actually build the mod, build and market the module, um, or or they might build it themselves. I mean, but but typically they work with a hardware maker, and then they could then then sell that little module um, to the watchmakers. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but clear, clearly tons of interest in it. Yeah. CES. Yeah. yeah. Although I will say, you know, I, I do wonder if Apple would be willing to do that because they've been, they bring, they brought a few fashion executives on lately. Yeah. Into their executive uh, team. Like they've got Angela Ahrens who ran, she was CEO of Burberry. Now she's running their retail. I think they yeah. had someone from Yves St. Laurent to he's it's kind of undefined what he's doing but everyone's guessing it's part of their wearable strategy that they haven't shown anything yet uh and they and uh ios in the car is basically that right it's like you let your phone drive you know basically be the brain for it but then the screen is kind of this dummy screen that will you know display this information for you and it's may, true maybe it, do it, it that different- way it is a different world at Apple right now, right? So, yeah. I mean, like, like you, you mentioned, they brought over Angela from um, from Burberry. She is amazing. Yeah. Uh, they also brought on uh, Ben Schaefer, who uh, was a coworker of mine at Nike. Mm. Um, and you know, all the the blog speculation is about him working on wearable technology. Right. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they how they yeah. take it. Yeah. All right. Uh, back back to you guys though. Uh, so so what else? Uh, so wearables for sure. Was there anything else that you think, maybe design trend wise, that you you see a lot at CS this past year? Uh, well, you know, we've we've talked about uh, offline. We've talked about a lot of this return to natural materials and consumer electronics. Yeah, and and I I think this is this is part of a decades long arc. I don't, I don't think this will be a, a flash in the pan. I, I think this is kind of a part of a like there was this focus on. Um, consumer electronics in the home uh, being and outside of the home mobile as well being very very high tech being like the, the latest technology um, and I, I think we really I, I take take digital cameras as an example right there was a, a essentially a medium war between you know, 35 millimeter and digital and the digital cameras had a look super digital mm-hmm. and now that now that digital as a medium has won Right now, we're seeing back in, in digital cameras, starting at the high end with the Leicas, right? But like leather wraps, uh, more like nickel-plated finishes. Mm-hmm. And it's like basically a return to just making a super nice camera yeah. that happens to be digital. And by the way, Leica being a good example in our watch discussion, right? Like a, a, tra- a brand that transitioned from being a traditional maker to a digital maker. Um, now, obviously, a lot of traditional makers didn't make it, but some did. So now I think we're seeing a return to that focus on just making a highly crafted product. Um, we're seeing it in our industry. I mean, if you look at yeah. kind of our, our line of products at Polk, we make an airplay speaker that is mahogany topped with kind of brass finish buttons or a Bluetooth speaker that's leather wrapped headphones that are kind of gold plated with leather. Um, and so, and, and we're seeing this across, you know, a, a lot of other audio brands are picking up on this. I, I think it's just a there's this again, kind of the medium war is ending. People people are switched over to digital mediums or at least hybrid mediums. Like even if you know you can you can uh, network a phonograph, you can you can make a traditional medium more high tech. 
And so now that I think there's kind of a full embrace of this, there's kind of a return to just making a quality product. Yeah, um, yeah. I think def- definitely people are ready for technology that does not look like it was designed for 18 year olds. Right. You know, like it's not like that glossy black, you know, Batman tumbler plastic sitting in your living room. It's the, you know, it's the beautiful Mad Men style fits in with your, with your decor, you know, like it looks like it's part of your life. It's not this like yeah. foreign object anymore. Yeah, dude, I, I don't live on the grid in Tron. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> it's like, I right. just, that's not where I live. It's not where any of us live. You know, I, I live in a, a house with wooden do- doors and wooden furniture. And, um, you know, it's like, I, I think the consumer electronics that live in my house should re- respond to their environment instead of stick out like sore thumbs. Right. Um, and, and so we're, we're seeing it uh, majorly at the niche level, or whether we're talking about our brand or a brand like Grain Audio, um, or I mean, I've even started to see it. Uh, I didn't see it at CES, but I saw it at um, a show in Asia. Uh, I believe LG made a, a white and wood trimmed television. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, we're going to see it throughout the, the CE space. Uh, the question is like, when and how will it go mass? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I see, because I'm, I'm obviously pretty active on social media. For, for me, I love social media because it's just a giant, like, constant 24-7 ethnographic research dump. And so I have a lot of, obviously connected to a lot of designers, but also connected to a lot of non-designers. And I see a lot of people asking, like, when is this going to come out? Or why don't you guys make this? And a lot of it is, is you know, getting it to the point where it's mass enough that we can convince the the national and global retailers to carry it. Um, and then, of course, that's a chicken and the egg scenario because how is it going to go mass if, if those guys don't carry it? Right. So, and you need them, I mean, you know, from your business standpoint, you need them basically to issue you a PO so you can start producing it. But until you start producing it, it's like it's not going to, like, you just can't force it, right? Yeah. So for for me it's a it's a design challenge, right? It's like how do I yeah. how do I walk them there? How do I kind of get them to take um, what I call safe risks, right? Um, and I mean it's like you, you see it all the time. Like I was at Target yesterday, and they had a line of uh, pans, you know, like uh, frying pans, pots, mm-hmm. and you know how like frying pans are always like coated with like a black nonstick material. But these were coated with a gloss white nonstick material. And it was just like a super simple thing. But you're like, wow, no one, I've never seen that before. Yeah. And it's a safe, but it's a safe risk. It's not like, you know, it's, it's, it's not like it's so shocking that a target shopper, you know, a, a, a national uh, cross the country shopper wouldn't buy it. Right. Um, so, you know, how do I, how do I convince the retailers to, to make uh, safe risks and then, how do we help to ensure that those products are successful so we can take the next step? Right. Because uh, if, if they're not, then they won't, they won't trust us to make the next one. Right. So how do you kind of like, what, what's your strategy when you like go into a meeting like that? What are, what are you showing or talking about that gives them the faith to take a chance? Even if it's not even a big, like to us, you know, taking a chance is a lot different than, them taking a chance because they got to make sure it sells and if it's right. too crazy it's like it's uh you know they get concerned they get stuck with a lot of product on their hand they can't get rid of well i for me i feel like i have the unique privilege of being able to present it myself so yeah. that's been it's been fantastic and it, it's hard to get that sometimes it's you know it's emotionally hard to get that very um direct feedback in person because it's like it's it's they're your babies but it's also great to be the one that hears it so it doesn't get filtered, and to also know that I gave it its best—I gave it its best shot by presenting it as best that I, as I can. Um, what, I, what I'm usually showing, because I don't have—I don't have, I don't have um, uh, the sales of today or yesterday to back me up. Like I can't go and say, you know, mahogany veneers sell awesome because it doesn't exist in the airplane speakers right now. Right. <laughs> um, so what I have to do is I have to show kind of where this is happening in other industries, uh, basically case studies of of other successes, um, you know, ethnographic research uh, in terms of like, can we pull in um, some some 
some sound bites from some some people that we've shown the product to, uh, even to the point where can we do some large uh, statistically significant surveys as a hey, like out of a thousand people um, that we showed this to, you know, eight hundred loved it. You know, that's pretty convincing. It'd be awesome if I could get that high, but usually you pretty much can't get anything to eighty percent. But um, so I'm trying to kind of create a uh, a case uh, like a lawyer of of sometimes. Um, uh, of, of kind of little pieces of evidence to kind of help them to become more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And then we work really closely. I have, a, I have an awesome, um, our CMO is awesome. Blair Trippity. He also, he also has, came from, worked at Nike and, um, he also worked for the U S Olympic committee and, and under armor and he's amazing. So we, we kind of go in as a tag team. So he's going to, he, I go in and show the product and try to give that convincing user uh, story. And then he goes in and says what he's going to do with the marketing to blow it up. Uh, and then we come in and say like, okay, we don't just want to put this thing on your shelf because we don't think it would be successful either. What we want to do is come in and build out a whole end cap and tell a whole story in your store. Because, you know, a, a lot of these stores, like they're, um, what's, what's called a, you know, unassisted sales floor, right? Like you know, there might be, there might be, there's, there's people working there, but it, it's not like the, the old days of like a, a specialty shop, uh, where someone, you know, you basically have a salesperson guiding you through the purchase. So we have to build out an experience that, that helps to do that for people. Yeah. Uh, sometimes to the point where we actually have our own, our own, um, assisted selling staff on the floor at key times. So, um, again, just kind of like designing that experience. Um, and it's, uh, it's challenge, you know, design is, I always say like design is the easiest part of my job. Now it's, it's all about the hard parts of the design are, are convincing of my job are convincing people to, to do good design and take it in, whether it's, you know, coaching my team or, um, working something through our internal system, uh, bring retailers in into the pro- into our design process also is, an, is another thing yep. I do some co-design with them so that they feel you know ownership over the product. So um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Yeah. And how often, you know, I'm wondering, like, do you take a um, like a long view strategy with some of this stuff where it's like, you know, if you show this today, it might have some resistance. But if you don't show it today, it's going to have the same resistance six months or a year from now. So you have to kind of show it now to help build the acceptance later on, maybe. Yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, there's, there's two kind of, <laughs> there's two, I guess, competing strategies you outlined there. I mean, the one I usually go with is it's easier to roll a rock down a hill than push it up. So, right. so I'll, I show them something as far out as I can. Um, and, and yeah, sometimes, sometimes to the point where People are like, I don't even know how to respond to that. Like that is looks super interesting, but I don't know to respond positively or negatively because it's like it's so far down the road. And so basically, once I've shown them that thing, I can then walk them back to, okay, here's something that we could we could produce today, right? Knowing that we're gonna go to this. Yeah. Um, and so that that for for me, I, I think I, I guess it probably works differently for different people. That seems to work better. Um, because then now that thing that I showed them that is just that one step away, so that the thing that's five steps away yeah. doesn't look shocking. Right. Whereas if I had just gone to the thing that was one step away, that might have looked like it was too far. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, I guess, and I guess the challenge that like most companies have, I mean, and I think, you know, like consumers think of this as like, well, if Apple comes out with something, they just, you know, throw their weight behind it and they feel comfortable with it. But that's, because they're Apple, right? I mean, like most people, they need to have retail partners when they when they do this stuff. They don't have the store where they know it's going to be featured and they can like throw the, you know, mega billion dollar campaign behind it, right? It's right. it's it's this partnership between retail and and you guys. Yeah, I mean, Apple has a couple really unique things going on, obviously. <laughs> but right. but you know, first in in this in pertinent to this conversation, first of which is kind of they control their own their own retail destiny. Right. So retail is going to tell the story that they want to tell, um, and then obviously the the huge huge marketing budget where you know they can make relatively few products and then put the marketing dollars behind. Okay, like this quarter we're going to talk about iPad. Um, 
So it's uh, uh, I, I'm sure that if if you ever got to talk to someone from there, which which we probably wouldn't be able, they probably wouldn't be able to go on record, but they probably would have their own own uh, challenges, right? That, that, sure. That that they would be frustrated with, but sure. it would be probably very different. Right. Right. But I, I, yeah, it's it's like one of those things. I think that's just how people think it works, right? And and I think that there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes, like you know, like you're talking about that. You know, it's it's you know, it's like making the sausage that you just kind of don't think about or you don't want to know. But it's like it's like this you know huge like pushing a boulder up a hill all the time effort. And it's not just let's just do this one thing. It's like let's do the thing that we can get people on board with to actually get something accomplished. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because there's, there's only, there's only a very few kind of national retailers and I, and I, I totally get it. Like their, their, their business models make sense. I mean, every, every item on in their assortment has to perform right for them, for them to do well. And they're in a very competitive situation, obviously with, with online retailers. Um, but of course, it forces their selection down, right? So now their selection has to be really tight. Um, versus, and then you have you know online retailers like Amazon, where you know it's their stated goal to basically carry everything in the world. Like if if one person somewhere in the world wants some one thing, and there's only one of that one thing, they want to be able to sell it. So it's a totally different model where you can go, you know, hyper niche. But then it's like, how do you how do you then get people to go there? Right. And then and then there there are some a very few left, but there are some really great boutique retailers who who are in in our space, of course, right? And I'm sure every space has them, who are who are actually awesome. Like um, there's this one on the East Coast called Sound Lion. They only sell um, headphones and Bluetooth speakers, but they're fantastic. Um, or In Motion, which is in in uh, in airports, like it's it's amazing. Like if you if you're in an airport and you're bored. Go to In Motion and talk to the sales guy. Yeah, you're probably like the most knowledgeable sales guy in terms of of, of personal audio that you'll encounter. Yeah, uh, maybe outside of like a Magnolia, you know, which is the you know the best Best Buy's higher end uh, kind of. Uh, it's a it's basically a hi-fi shop that Best Buy bought um, and rolled out, and they're they're super knowledgeable. But it's 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 really refreshing to talk to a salesperson who, who knows something and can help you. And I, I think in, in this decade, I hope brick and mortar retailers realize that actually their opportunity is to provide an, a designed experience to help you to get to the right thing. Because at, at the end of the day, we've all been there. I mean, I've been there. We've all been at Staples looking at a wall of printers and thinking, which one of these should I get? I have no idea. <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah, and it just would be nice to talk to somebody who knew, um, you know, versus like combing through three hundred online reviews yourself. Um, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, kind of the stuff that you've been doing at at, at Sound United, and I, I want to talk specifically because, like, right now you're in this industry that seems to have just like so much heat around it right now and like every couple of years there's like this really hot category to design for for industrial designers mm -hmm. and like i I, you know, I don't know what the timeline was but it feels like a few years back maybe it was toothbrushes randomly everyone had a toothbrush in their portfolio yeah uh you know there was obviously like pcs were big you know everyone mm -hmm. had a laptop or desktop randomly staplers got hot for like a minute <laughs> yeah thanks uh, to scott wilson yeah yeah exactly um and then uh, it feels like more recently, like even like sex toys, like all of a sudden <laughs> tons of major designers were doing sex toys, like out of nowhere. Um, and right now it feels like definitely within the past two years, uh, the audio market is like just on fire, which is like, it, it's odd, right? It's like this market has been around since, I don't know, is it like a hundred years old now maybe that, you know, sp yeah. that speakers. Edison times, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much of the technology has changed per se, other than, you know, I think obviously the big new thing is uh, having Bluetooth and the ability to connect in it from your audio source, and your audio source happens mm -hmm. to be really mobile and in your pocket. But, mm -hmm. um, and there's like all these new companies like out of nowhere, and everyone's got a. 
Bluetooth speaker or set of headphones in their portfolio right now. What do you, why, why do you think it's right now that there is so much action going on in, in audio? Yeah, I think, I think, I, I think I also had the, the, the fortune to go from one super hot category. I think foot, footwear got, yeah. while, while, while I was in footwear, like it went from being kind of like, oh yeah, shoes are cool to being like everybody wanted to design footwear. Yeah. Sneaker heads. Um, yeah, and so that, that yeah, basically the the massification of sneakerhead culture. Um, so that was really amazing, and I also felt like I just I learned a ton about while I was at Nike. You know, worked on the Nike brand, the Converse brand, and the Jordan brand. So working about how one kind of master company uh, can own and, and operate three very different brands that are designed uh, for very different kinds of people, but but still making what is in essence functionally the same product, right? Like all three of those brands make sneakers. Yeah. Um, so, and then when I went from there to frog, you know, I, I being kind of a gadget guy, I was super amped to design mobile phones and did a bunch of mobile phones at frog. And you realize just how, how limiting it is. Right. I mean, you, you basically have like fractions of a millimeter to play with. Yep. Um, and, and there's a lot of, um, conservatism in the market, right? Like there's basically, you know, just a couple market leaders and nobody wants to stray more than one or 2% away from those. Yeah. Well, and that's the interesting thing about audio right now is that like, it seems like speakers can come in almost any shape. And, you know, usually at this point, like when we have this sort of like hot category, you started to get sick of it because everyone's doing the same thing. Like if you look at laptops, for example, everything more or less looks like a MacBook pro. Right. And, uh, it doesn't have to, it doesn't, it, does. it doesn't have yeah. to at all, but more or less like everyone's just decided that Apple has figured it out. And that's the only way you could possibly do a laptop for, <laughs> for whatever crazy right. reason, but that is not happening at all in your category. Right. The sad thing about that, the laptop example or, or the phone example is that the architecture is already so limiting, right? Like the architecture of a laptop, the archetype, it's like a folding screen keyboard, right? Yeah. So yeah. already like, so much, so many hard points are locked in space. Right. And then you're going to say, and it's also going to be a metal or metalized rounded rectangle. Right. You're like, wow, well, now you're just, now you're just dealing with nuance. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and the same with the phone. So the, the interesting thing about headphones is I, I think a little bit like an audio in general is that it's become a little bit more analogous to the sneaker mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. obviously like there's, there's, the more I'm thinking about it, the more analogous it is. It's like there's a real art and science to it, right? There's 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 some real craft-based, experience-based rules or guidelines that you have to work around in footwear to make it functional um, so it doesn't hurt you uh, and performs. And then there's so much room for personal expression between those dots. And uh, and and a lot of it is 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 an art form. It's experience-based in terms of like how you get there. Um, and audio is also really similar. Um, and so I, I think there's been this explosion in terms of audio becoming this piece of personal expression. Like you said, I think really, really amplified by the smartphone. Like all of a sudden I went from having, you know, I'm not me, I mean, I, us, we went from having rec, giant rec, vinyl records, right. That were fragile and didn't really want to cart around too much unless you're a DJ and you have a DJ bag to, to cassettes, which were hyper portable to CDs, which, you know, everybody had that big case logic jacket of CDs yeah. in their car to now a phone where, where I have, or to an iPod, to a phone where I had a limited amount of space to now cloud storage, where I can literally have any single song in the world playing it, in seconds. Yeah. Right. And so it's kind of interesting as the phone becomes more and more of this stabilized architecture brick that sits in my pocket. And now that the the audio becomes the the expression of that experience, right? Whether it's a speaker in the room, um, you know, whether it's a, a Bluetooth speaker, AirPlay speaker, or a networked speaker, or or headphones, um, they become they become the physical manifestation of the experience, right? Yeah. So, and I think I think what's cool about it is it, it's avoided the lock into a very narrow aesthetic because because you're playing music and there are so many different forms of music, right? Like music is the, the, to me, it's, it's like the focusing of, of human emotion into a sound. I mean, music predates um, language. 
So it's it's like very reptilian brain level for us. Like it's very emotional. It's very deep. And I think that I think because of that, um, there's going to be a massive ways, massive amount of ways that it expresses itself. Um, so and it is it's fascinating when I was when I was basically sound united was a client of frogs and so i was working on on the on the brand and before i left to come here full time it was it was amazing because four other audio brands were trying to recruit me at the same time really and and for me so so i had a pick from you know some of these new brands that kind of came out of nowhere and were you know multi-billion dollar brands um and and so for me, it's like, I, like, why would I, why would I not decide to go with the multi-billion brand, dollar brand? Why would I go with the small brand? And and for me, it was because they had something that the other brands lacked, and that was they knew how to make it actually sound good. <laughs> you know, these guys have been making audio for for forty two years. It was founded by three engineers uh, at a college who basically loved music and just wanted to make it sound better. And I mean, like on the the Woodburn, that the AirPlay speaker. Um, I stopped telling you about with the mahogany top, the head of engineering who worked with me on that, he started at the company in 1976. Wow. And I mean, this guy is responsible for the way our stuff sounds. And it's just, that thing sounds amazing. And so for, for me, it was an easy choice, even though these guys didn't have the bags of money. I was like, let me go to the people that actually know how to make a quality product. I can come into the mix and help them to make it super cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And together we can have something really unique in the marketplace, which is something that's super cool that also sounds good, yeah. which is unfortunately rare. Yeah. I mean, if you can find the real geeky people to work with and if they'll let you figure the way to talk about it to the rest of the world in a really compelling way, I mean, that's like the ideal match. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, you know, every shape on the on these products is, is very purposeful, right? It's all about helping the engineers to make it sound better mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that visually tells that story so that you can see in the store that it sounds better, you know, in a, in a retail store where maybe you can't get a great demo or if you, you might not be able to get, get a demo at all. Um, you know, how can you see that this thing's going to sound amazing? And in each brand has a unique expression of that, right? So for, for Polk this 42 year old brand, the sound is, is is very warm. You know, all the speakers in the '70s obviously were wooden, uh, and so, and, and the, the sound is just amazing. It has this amazing resonance to it. It's like for me, it's like a you know, it sounds like a hot cup of chocolate uh, next to a fire on a on a snowy day. Like that's just like when you listen to it, that's the feeling I get. Um, and so, how do we bring that out, right? So. Um, obviously moving back, moving away from plastic enclosures back to wooden, like solid wooden enclosures. Um, we just launched a computer speaker called the Hampton. That's all, you know, teak veneer, mm-hmm. uh, over a wooden enclosure. Um, and then, you know, the, the radius corners are all about kind of, uh, dispersing internal standing waves, right? So it's all, it's all, it's this organic shape, but purposefully so. Yeah. And then, and then like layering in. It's, it's so it has this look of this like, amazing heritage brand, but then layering in all this technology. So like, those Hampton speakers, computer speakers that I was telling you about, it's like they have their own uh, digital to audio, convert, digital to analog converter. So you bypass your laptop's uh, DAC, which is always crappy, even in the best laptops, and you connect via USB, and we handle all the digital signal processing. So we make it sound exactly the way it should. Yeah. And you know, layering in all these like layers of high tech on the inside. But it's like it doesn't have to hit you over the face like that. Like I said, it doesn't have to doesn't have to look like a transformer. Yeah. Well, and and the interesting thing about the fact that, and I, I think that your cat your category is the first wave of this. But mm-hmm. the fact that these smartphone and these mobile OSs can drive so much, like that, the biggest limiting factor for getting technology into products before was that basically you had to build a mini computer and jam it into something else. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, well, everyone has a computer in their pocket. That can be the computer that drives it. So you can really eliminate these like really cumbersome interface elements that we used to have to like hard hardware mm-hmm. interface elements we used to have and have these like really organic software elements. And I think that that it's like all of a sudden you you all you're building is the hooks into that computer mm-hmm. as opposed to like the these like really crazy interfaces. Um 
and it's almost like these are hardware apps mm-hmm. in a sense yeah. where it's it's um it's kind of the true kind of like culmination of you know like it, this is what post P, pc experience really is about where it's like not you don't have this like computer that you go to it's like the computer stuff is all around you it doesn't even feel like a computer and i think that the speakers are like the first wave of this and smart wearable type stuff that's kind of like the next little step but it's gonna like go everywhere like nest i think is a really good example of this Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean it's just like such an awesome time to be an industrial designer because like like finally you can play with all of these elements and make everything you know you know kind of like really smart in a way that wasn't possible before but it's like it's not limited to laptops and desktops mm-hmm. and cell phones anymore it's like literally everything i really i really like that that verbal analogy you made to a hardware app i mean i i think that is it is true and, it, and it, it's it's kind of like what we're we were talking about a home and and you're outside the home your office you're you know on the bus or on the subway we're talking about inserting you know tons of hardware apps right like whether it's your av system under your your television or um, you know, whether it's a, a, a secondary system in a bedroom or your headphones or your car audio, I mean, these are also all basically, um, hardware inserts into your life that basically need to connect to a smartphone. Yep. And, and even the smartphone is, is, is a, a hardware app because, you know, really the, the real computer is the cloud, right? So it's, it's this really kind of this notion of dispersed computing and, and, you know, what's also called a headless interface, right? So the, the speaker is a, is a headless interface in the fact that it can give you all kinds of audio feedback yep. and is actually pretty intelligent. And it has to be, you know, it has to be intelligent enough to talk to your smartphone. Um, but, uh, and it has some, it has some, some, we have some interesting things that we're going to be pushing in the next three to five years in terms of what that can do and how that can integrate yeah. uh, in, into your life. But, um, but it is, it's, we're not interested in putting a screen on it because right. we already have a screen. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's the huge yeah. thing I think that, right. that that gets lost is like, you know, we were stuck with these like really crappy segmented displays before like dot matrix type displays. And there was like such, and you would have like hardware buttons like on the side of those displays that mm-hmm. maybe you can like navigate menus if you could remember you know the correct path whereas like now it's like you've got this screen that can literally do anything and it's like in your hands and you don't need to build in this like crappy interface anymore you can just focus on what that piece of hardware is supposed to do and have this like software hook it's a little bit like when you think about that that uh, google modular phone it's been kind of making the rounds in the blogs right um which is kind of like well, we don't have to talk about it too much, but just reminds <laughs> me of that, which reminds me of like this idea of of modularity in your in your life, right? Like this product is the modular part. So for you'll see, like you'll you'll see on on that wood burner Hampton, the interface is is obsessively minimal, yeah. and on our definitive stuff the same, and and we're we're planning to make, go even more and more minimal as time goes on because you, there are other ways that you can interact with the device, whether it's um, you know, on your phone or, or other, you know, other ways I can't talk about, but, but, uh, sure. but there doesn't need to be a screen and there doesn't need to be, um, hardware buttons because they're, they're, you know, it's an audio device, so it can talk to you yep. and, you know, you could talk to it. So I, I think that in the future, we'll see these things, um, be more intelligent, but, but like you said, not a, not a full computer, like they'll be very selectively intelligent um yeah and, and you know like little like little friends in your home really um yeah and it's and it's like it's 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 happening in full force and in, in audio but it's going to happen in literally every other product in your home oh yeah and for it, sure and it's like that it's like such an awesome time to be an industrial designer right now i think because of that yeah. because it's like we're defining all of these new experiences that were either under the purview of like software people or whatever but it's like it's really this merger of all those things now or it's like and we have to be the ones to kind of synthesize how that actually happens so it's super fun 
cl- closing the loop a little bit on our conversation, but getting back to the most interesting things at CES, I think the second most interesting thing I saw at CES is what, what our friends um, at, at Qualcomm are doing um, with uh, All Join. Um, and they had an All Join uh, home demo set up. What, so they what's All like Join? It's, it's, it's basically you know one of the many ways that's being explored out there that gets at the Internet of Things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they had literally a, a home um, that mocked up with multiple rooms and all kinds of hardware in multiple rooms, and all that hardware talked to each other without screens. So like there was like a, a moment where you know he left the fridge open and you know within within 45 seconds like a speaker in the living room said like hey your fridge is open you know like so it's basically all these different and and the 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 speaker isn't talking to the fridge and the fridge isn't talking to the speaker but they're both talking to the cloud yep so the the, the speaker is saying to the cloud hey i'm open tell whatever devices in michael's home that should know this that i'm open and so the cloud then says to the home, hey, devices that are supposed to say something right now, say something. And they are. And so, you know, they had another one where, like, the room got really hot. So he turned the air conditioning down and the LED, all the, all the bulbs in the room were LED and they're all smart bulbs. And they turned the tonality of the color of the LEDs from warm to cool so that you would feel cooler, even though the air conditioner hadn't totally kicked in yet. Oh. But also to just let you know that it was cooling the room. Yeah, but only, by, only by like a couple of shades, right? Like it wasn't like it turned the room blue. So it can be super nuanced and you can have all this hardware, um, you know, door locks and light bulbs and thermostats and all talking to each other. And to me, that's, that's the exciting thing. And, and I think, like you said, audio is this really interesting um, entree into that because because people want it. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really it's it's one of the only industries right now where the whole uh, ecosystem is is fully in place. Right. Because you've got that cloud based music. You've got the the apps on your phone that work and you've got speakers out there in the world. So it, it's uh yeah, and everything's gonna be. It's it's oh god, it's just so it's such an awesome time right now because I think that that experiment, uh, experimentation that you can have in audio where the speaker can look literally almost like anything is going to translate to a lot of different things very soon, and uh, I think expected you know the ways you think think something's gonna expect to look can change very soon. Yeah, and I think it's. I mean, I think it's interesting because. It's it's this industry with these the, this interesting dichotomy of while the source is rapidly changing right? yeah. from from vinyl records to the cloud, um, the art of making a really good speaker isn't like that is mm-hmm. there's just a ton of physics involved in terms of like moving air right like a driver basically moves air back and forth and those laws of physics aren't changing so so I think. To me, that's the interesting play, the play that goes on as a designer, right? You're looking for like two, th- two different dis- disparate boundaries to play with. And to me, that's what it is in this space. It's like, how do you take this thing that, this very traditional thing that, that of, of, of making sound uh, and mix it with this super high tech thing of, of cloud source yeah. um, and cloud connectivity. Um, and then, and then I think also there's the, the play with the, the play with the physical manifestation of that. So like, with with our definitive brand, which is a little more expensive, we just with CES we launched a speaker called the STL. That is this. It's a it's a large tower speaker, and the whole thing is a solid extruminum, uh, extruded piece of aluminum or extruminum. Maybe I just coined something there. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and so it's it's cool to like deal with like oh we're gonna we're gonna design a you know a four and a half foot extrusion uh, that everything's gonna uh, everything's gonna mount into. Um, and then you know th- that thing has its own. Each speaker has its own powered sub carbon fiber subwoofer. It's like very. It's a very unusual. Um, it's a very unusual speaker, and it, it's it looks the look matches that unusualness. Um, but it's you know it's fifty five hundred dollars for a pair of them. So so we're literally dealing with everything from twenty dollar earbuds up to six thousand dollar pair of speakers. And as a designer, understanding the different limitations of all those price points. And, you know, how far you need to push it at the higher end is it's exciting versus how much you need to design around kind of the entry price points. Right. So yeah. um, I think as a as a 
our team, it's, it's, it keeps everybody kind of on their toes, which is, I think, the other interesting thing about audio is that the archetype isn't set, right? It's not like the laptop we mentioned, right? It's literally, you know, from things that go in your ears to, you know, things that are you know, the size of small refrigerators right, um, right. For, for like basically a really passionate hobbyist. Um, so to me, that's, that's cool to work at those different scales and to be involved with kind of very different types of lifestyles from, from a, a college kid who wants some, some durable earbuds to, you know, somebody who kind of is at a very different life stage and wants a very premium experience. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the design scene in, in Southern California. Uh, you're sound United's in Vista, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit, uh, North of, of San Diego. Yeah. So do you, you consider yourself closer, you're closer than the San Diego than, than LA, although sort of in the middle, not. Yeah. It's, it's about, we're about ah, 35 minutes from San Diego. Okay. Um, and you know, depending on, on traffic, uh, between an hour and a half and two and a half hours from LA. So okay. definitely closer to San Diego. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, you know, it's like, for some reason, like you just don't hear much about what's going on there from the industrial design community. At least I don't, and may, you know, obviously it's because I've never lived there and, uh, I, I don't get out there a ton. It's like, usually I'm kind of like in San Francisco or, Chicago or Boston or something like that. And those like, I think those are like kind of the more traditional like centers for industrial design, like especially like the Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, San Francisco, especially I think in recent years um, and Portland, I think has come on. But for some reason, like SoCal's never really in the discussion. I know you've been there for a year or two now. I kind of wonder, you know, what's the community like? Well, it's interesting because you know I, I've I've lived in in most of those communities. Like I lived in, in Portland for a long time, and then I lived in Boston for a few years, and then I lived in San Francisco for a few years. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And and what I really like about Southern California is it kind of reminds me of Portland when I was there ten years ago. In that it's about a, a scene, it's a design scene that's more about getting it done than it is about talking about it. Yeah. Um, so. I loved being in the Bay Area. I mean, it was awesome. Obviously, there's so much going on. Um, but uh, it was sometimes hard to separate the doers from the talkers. Mm. And uh, and here, it's like, it's doers. And I've been fascinated of finding all these microcosms of design communities. So in, and in each little area has its own little thing. So like in La Jolla, there's like this medical research corridor where there's tons of super high-tech medical research going on. So there's all these little design firms that are basically catering towards the medical industries here, um, which is kind of similar to, to Boston in that way. Boston has a little bit of that going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, then you have all the surf skate brands. So an intense amount of design from kind of Costa Mesa down to, you know, Encinitas, um, whether, you know, we're talking about like Hurley or Nixon or, you know, just pretty much every single surf skate brand. So lots of footwear and then technical, lots of technical apparel. Um, and then, so that's like super different than, than medical industries. Right. And then, um, the third one is the automotive industry. So pretty much from LA down to San Diego, uh, there in, in a lot of different towns, there's, there are, um, advanced R and D centers for automotive. So in Carlsbad, there's Mercedes in, uh, La Jolla, you have Nissan Infinity. Um, so the, uh, those little guys, those like little things popped in there. Uh, and then the fourth set, it, the one that you, you really probably hear the least about down here, but is is really kind of under the radar is consumer electronics. Mm -hmm. um, you have Sony's U.S. headquarters here. You have Qualcomm. Um, you have you know, obviously us. You know, if I could, if I dare put us in that mix, um, you're in the mix. Yeah, yeah, we are. Uh, and yeah. then, uh, but just you know, they're at a big scale. Yeah, uh, sure. And then uh, I think, um, and so you have all these designers that are, are working there, and and then also design firms like you know, Ziba and uh, and Gad Shannon who are who are servicing um, those clients. So, but the amazing thing is, like you said, it's like it's I think very under the radar, and I, I think we we kind of what I'm getting from the community is we kind of like it that way. Yeah. It's just kind of about like doing good work. And also there's this amazing balance between work and life here, you know, because it's about like doing 
really good work, working super hard and then going surfing. I don't do that, but, but most people do. <laughs> yeah. And, and so this, this sense about kind of, I think there's this really, really good understanding um, that maybe I've only ever experienced in Portland is that the design and technology is in service of a life, right? Like people don't live for, for the technology. The technology lives for people. Right. And I think that's, that's been a really um, refreshing daily reminder because you can get really caught up in the microcosm of, 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 of the industry. And um, I think it's important to remember that the industry serves people, not the other way around. Yeah. So do you guys, uh, you know, and I mean, like you guys, I mean, like, you know, the design community in general, like, you know, one of the impressions I have of Southern California is because it's so kind of spread out and sprawling that maybe there's not kind of those, you know, centralized, you know, urban type cores the way, you know, like New York or or Chicago or San Fran sort of has. Like, do you guys get together? Like, what? how do you, get, you know, interact with everyone there? Yes, it's interesting. I mean, San Diego, again, reminds me of Portland 10 years ago. It's kind of like it's building up quite a bit. And all of a sudden, all these, you know, artisanal cocktail lounges and, you know, little boutiques that just sell, you know, one leather wallet are, are popping up everywhere, which is which is fantastic. Um, and then it's it's really the area is really about these like very small coastal towns that dot the coast all the way up. And that's where everybody hangs out kind of and and. and and gets beers. Um, there's a really great group um, called uh, IDSD, Industrial Design San Diego, headed up by by Chris Ross, um, who owns his own own uh, design firm um, up in Carlsbad. And he's great. It's not affiliated with the IDSA. It's just kind of its own thing. Mm. Um, and it's it doesn't cost anything. And it's basically a LinkedIn group. And the LinkedIn group basically is there to create events. So basically there's, you know, a monthly happy hour and then some, you know, he, he also puts on a lecture series. Um, so, and it's, it's, it is, it is dispersed. Um, and, and it's, it obviously car culture is, is a, a massive part of the culture down here. Uh, but people are also kind of accustomed to kind of getting around. So yeah, that, that helps. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, I, I love the tightness of it. I mean, at the, at the IDSD events, I mean, usually it's like, you know, Somewhere probably twenty five to thirty people, um, which is not bad. Yeah, it's uh, considering. Uh, but um, but because of the tightness of the community, everybody is is super engaged and interested in each other. Versus, you know, I've been to design events in the Bay Area where you know fifty people, sixty people will turn out, but only, people only talk to the people that came with. And I'm like, why are we here? This doesn't make any. No one wants to talk to anybody. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. 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 So when you're um, when you're recruiting people for your design team, have you have, have you been able to pull them in from that Southern California area, or are you, are you getting them from all over? Uh, all you know me, I, I'm kind of I'm focused on just getting the best people. Period. Yeah. Um. And and you know that's kind of that's that's what I've I've had the privilege of of working with at Nike and at, at Frog, and so I'm not I'm not super concerned with where somebody is at the moment. Um, I think we also kind of had to kind of earn our stripes in the area. So mm. right now I have, I have four industrial designers. Um, and so when I, when I put out, when I put out, uh, the job notices for those four, I was really surprised how few local candidates we got, but we did hire one guy who was local. Yeah. Um, and then I had two that came from the East coast and one from Ohio where, where so many good designers come from. That could be a topic for another podcast. Uh, yeah, you're not joking. Like that's like a for real thing, right? Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know why, but I have my hypothesis. But um, what, what's well, yeah, but we'll save it for another time. Yeah, that's too huge a discussion. But uh, yeah. so keep going, yeah. And then now we just, I just posted two new positions: one for a graphic designer, uh, another for a, a packaging designer, both on Core Flot. And now I'm I'm really surprised at the the amount of local applicants we're getting now two two years later right so yeah. I, I think we're we're ca- catching a little bit of a of a reputation in the area in a, a really positive reputation for doing um, really pushing the boundaries and doing good work so um, well and I've I've noticed that you have pushed the other designers to the forefront too like like they've been like in some of the videos talk, oh, yeah. talking about the stuff which a lot of people don't do. 
Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of, I guess I never really thought about that. But but yeah, I, I mean, we do the work together, right? And it would be a huge disservice for me to be the only person um, getting credit for things because that's just not the case. Um, yeah. They do. They do, The team does all the heavy lifting. Um, and for, for me, I, I see my role as kind of um, mentoring them and if I'm doing if I'm doing my job right, we should be doing work that's so good uh, that people are trying to recruit my guys every week. That's that's my goal. That's how I know. That's how I know I have the best team, right? Is that if people are trying to steal them all the time. Yeah. And, and hopefully, I'm doing my job as as a leader to create a workspace um, and a an environment where they want to stay. And I, I have to earn their, I have to earn their their trust and and they're wanting to be here every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure after the the winter that the uh, the Northeast and the Midwest has had uh, this past year, <laughs> that you're probably going to get a lot more uh, applicants uh, from this region pretty soon because it's <laughs> this has been brutal. I hear birds in the background of uh, <laughs> of of your audio a little bit, and uh, here it was. Uh, we had like another like sub zero kind of dusting of snow last night, but it's just ugh, it's been uh, it's been one of the crazier winters. And I was it's at, been. Yeah. It's been unusually cold here, Don, for the winter. It's been like 62, 63 degrees. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, uh, Michael, it's been, uh, it's always awesome catching up. And uh, so thanks for taking the time, and we got to do it again soon. Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. Well, that's our show. I want to thank Michael for being our guest today. You can check out the work he does as the Chief Design Officer of Sound United by going to soundunited.com. You can also follow him on Twitter. His username is at Michael DiTullo, and you can check out his portfolio site at michaeldetullo.com. You can subscribe to After School on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store on your computer or the podcast app on your mobile device and search for Core 77 or After School. And when you're there, if you like what you're hearing... Give us a nice review so other people can find us as well. Also on Core 77, we include show notes that link you to all of the stuff you heard us talking about with Michael. You can follow me and the After School podcast on Twitter at After School, and you can follow Core 77 on Twitter at Core 77. After School's theme song is Introducing Today by Disco Lobos. I'm Don Lehman. Talk to you soon. <laughs>